I have no idea what it was like to live through those years in the Dust Bowl. When you had nothing, when livestock was being rounded up by the government and they were, I think, paying people to give because they were starving and they were just giving away money and they were killing those, that livestock. And before that, there was all this land farmed and tilled and put in wheat and steam tractors were taken over. And man, when you had 50 foot plows, you could really take a big swath of country and suddenly it didn't, things didn't turn out and there's all that's left is dust raining down. And you had to turn your dishes upside down and leave them on the table so they wouldn't fill up with dirt kids having lung issues because they just breathe dirt so much and in the middle of all that there's no food we don't know what that's like and you got to understand that that all came on those people suddenly boy when wall street crashed it hit everybody and even the wealthy were emptied they had to send off their children it happened just suddenly. And they were in a great time of plenty before that. Yeah, we got we to think different. And we know we need the Lord. And things can't... God won't tolerate the things that keep going. We know that. But I want to talk to you today specifically focusing in what we're doing right now for the next two weeks. Now, the fasting time, the fasting portion of this technically ends next uh, Tuesday depending on if you started on Monday. It was New Year's, remember? So, whatever that, that, that may end, but the listing continues for another, uh, it's a four-week deal, four week and one day, unless you cheat, okay? But I want to, to keep you focused, because for the first, this is the first year we've ever done this, that we've had such intense thought and reaction. And oppression. Many trials have been going around. I thank God for it. There's activity. Okay. So I want to talk to you today then about knowing your enemy. And then lastly, remember your mission. So in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now that's a, that's a lot of sobering text to tell us what it is we face. The word wiles... In the Greek, simply means a method or a way of doing something in a deceptive way, especially in a systematic way, and it implies an orderly, logical arrangement. So think of it this way. Think of the word strategy. What it's saying in this text is for us to be strong in the Lord and in His strength and His might, And we must don the armor of God. And we know what that is. The helmet of salvation. The shield of faith. The sword of the spirit. The breastplate of righteousness. The belt of truth. And the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But the word wiles in dealing with this, we have to put this on. Because that word wiles means strategy. One of the best explanations I ever read about this was... The enemy literally has a a worked out, thought out strategy 
to take you down. Now, if you're in Jesus, He knows He can't have you. And He knows He can't destroy your soul because you, you're Christ's. But He can sure steal your witness. Yeah. And He can sure take your focus. And He can sure cause you to compromise. He can do all those things just to render you inoperative. Unable to function as a dynamic, spirit-filled child of God. That's what He wants to do to the Christian. To discredit you. Wiles. Strategy. And you think about that for a second in your life. He knows all your cracks. All your dents. But he also knows your strengths. And a strength can be a weakness. If leveraged right and purposely. By the enemy. You see you can't survive without being right next to Jesus. This armor if you think of it and you look at it. Is simply nothing more. Than the very presence of God surrounding you. In what is called the ordinary graces that God gives us to walk through this world. The assurance of my salvation. The faith that he instills. That covers me like a breastplate. That I know that all things do work together for, for uh, my good and his glory. That word of God that I live by, that I must have, that I must feast upon, that I must have in my soul to penetrate this darkness and rightly understand what's being communicated back to me from the world. To know truth from error. To walk in that truth of who Christ is in that gospel that I should never forget that I need just as much after being saved as I did before I was saved. These are the ordinary, if you will, means of grace that God gives us. And He tells us to put all this on so we can stand against these strategies. He wants to disarm you. And He won't stop, as we'll soon see. Willem Teelink is my favorite Puritan. And it is not misspelled. It, it's, he's Dutch. Dutch Reformed. He's actually probably only about the true Dutch Reformed you'll ever hear from around here. Okay. Willem Teelink. He studied under William Ames in, uh, in London. The, the English Puritan. The, one of the first. And he was so taken captive by the English Puritan. That he went back to the Dutch. To the Netherlands. And he started what's known as. And was part of what was known as the Second Reformation. You see, it hopped over there. And so here's what he writes when it contains or pertains to our battle against sin and corruption and the enemy. Now, now listen to these very sobering words. With regard to the kingdom of darkness, the Christian who wants to practice godliness in all sincerity. Now, did you see that first part? In all sincerity. If you want to practice Godliness in all sincerity. That means you mean it. Okay. Should first and foremost be mindful of the existence of an undivided spiritual power of darkness. You have an enemy who's going to come right at you 
It opposes and besieges anyone who practices true godliness and seeks to obstruct and thwart everyone in their holy work. So, warning, you set out to do right by God and you're going to be attacked. Thwarted, if you will. It's an old word. This kingdom of darkness is full of craftiness. Notice that. Treason and deceit because it performs all its practices in the dark. It doesn't come just straight at you. It comes inadvertently. It's full of venom, bitterness, and cruelty. Full of relentless spirits and that roam around day and night and tirelessly foster all kinds of ungodliness as they seek to corrupt souls. No sooner has the Christian made up his mind to serve the Lord, God with all his heart, than the kingdom of darkness is stirred up to resist him like a brutal jailer who immediately acts to stop his prisoners from escaping as soon as he he discovers his plans. The most important allies of the kingdom of darkness are the three spiritual enemies of the believer. The devil, the world, and our carnal flesh. Whose wisdom scripture calls earthly, sensual, and devilish. As it's found in James 3. And he finishes with this. These three enemies and allies in the kingdom of darkness resolutely. It's a strong word. Resolutely. Roam about day and night. Seeking to lead us into sin. That's their goal. That's what they want. They never miss a chance. Or let any opportunity pass to seduce us and tempt us to sin. They never stop. They use everything we possess as well as every event and circumstance to seduce to sin. They pay attention to our hearts, our minds, our affections and our memories and our consciences. To our eyes and ears, our mouths and tongues, to our hands and our feet. Indeed, to all our actions in order to deceive and seduce us. Our spiritual enemies are always seeking to corrupt us in whatever we undertake or begin to do. And in all our our endeavors and plans. So, pretty exhaustive explanation, isn't it? You have an enemy that will stop at nothing to get you off track. And here you say, I think I'm going to start out this January in prayer and fasting. Remember, we talked about you better be prayed up for this. And the things that come by to distract you, most of the time, do we realize they look okay? They're just part of it. Only later do you realize the distraction is a distraction because that's how it works. You can't yield. You endeavor to persevere. But what does the scripture say? In Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. Remember what our Savior provided. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. He's delivered us. Delivered us. And conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. That means this. If you find yourself in besetting sins that you cannot overcome. There's one of two reasons for that. A. You're a false convert. You've got got the Spirit of God in you and you like it and you don't really care what God says. You're just going to do what you're going to do. 
but you're going to claim Christian. There's a lot of that going around these days. Talk's cheap. Number two, you've got your eyes off the Savior. You've let go of those ordinary means of grace. Your Bible study is somewhere over the rainbow, back in the closet. Your church attendance is sparse, if any. And you've just allowed yourself to get sucked down to nothing. That's what you're malnourished. You're misinformed. And you forgot who your Lord is. One of two reasons. But He has delivered us. So if you choose to sit in that, you're sitting there on your own accord. And then notice it says... He's conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. He's transferred us there. Live in it. I fear that so many Christians these days are waiting for their victory. Do you not see? Where did... Where did Stephen see Jesus? At the right hand of God. He has ascended. His victory is now. And it's only going to get bigger. Because it's progressively consuming the world. Don't look through the keyhole of your worldview. Look through the keyhole of the kingdom. And you'll see... Oh yeah, the West may be declining, but the rest of the world's exploding in Christian growth. And the persecution is even more intense, more than at any other time. But you can't tell me the church is shrinking. Did Jesus not say the gates of hell would not prevail against it? Well, did he mean it? Or does it wait till later? I don't know about some of those ideas that's been pumped out in our generation. Because they don't jive with what Jesus said. Colossians 2.15. Notice this part. Having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle even of them. Triumphing over them in it. Imagine the chagrin of, of the devil when Jesus came out of that grave. What do we do now? You, you, you can't kill him. And, and when you did, you just sealed the deal. Because he came back to life and everything's changed. And he's conveyed it. That, that kingdom, he, Jesus even said, is given to the Father. It's not a wait and see. Live in your victory. That's right here, right now. Jesus in you, the hope of glory. Know the scriptures. Feast upon them. Develop an appetite by the grace of God to them. Be consumed in them. He disarmed them, principalities and powers. Remember those spiritual hosts? He disarmed them. Think of it this way. All of the teeth in their head have been pulled. They can gum on you. 
but they can't break the skin. But they can gum on you. That, that, that has some vivid imagery for me personally. I don't know if I've ever told you a story about Delmer. Delmer was an Indian man that used to work for Dad sometimes back in the early 80s. I remember Delmer because I was very young. And Delmer had not a tooth in his head. He liked to smile and stick his tongue out a lot. And when we would go eat, you would never guess what Delmer's favorite food was at the cafe. Chicken fried steak. And gravy. Now you imagine that. This wasn't the most tender stuff in the world. Because I remember working on it as a little one thinking, should my jaw be this tired? And Delmer, he just went to town. His gums were accustomed to it. And boy, anyway. (laughs) But that's what I think about when I think about what the Lord has done and provided for us. The enemy can make a mess on us. But he can't destroy us. He's been defamed. So the four D's of defeat then. Remember I mentioned them last Sunday. And I'm saying this to keep you focused on finishing out the remainder of our prayer and fasting. And our listening to these sermons. Because it's pivotal that we... That we oh, I wish I had a better word for just take it in. Appropriate, it's not good enough. Absorb, it's still kind of weak. Doubt. You're going to encounter it. You're going to encounter doubt as you persist to try to do what God wants you to do. You're going to doubt it. Now let's define. In James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, James writes, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But notice this, there's a qualifier to it. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts... Notice this imagery is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. You've seen waves. The red is the warning. This is the consequence of doubting God when you ask Him for something. When you ask Him for something that's in line and in keeping with His will, as revealed in the Scripture. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And the word double-minded simply means two-souled. you got two minds going. And I want to just say this to you. If you're a Christian, you cannot have two allegiances. You cannot have one, wor- one foot in the world and another foot in Christ. It, he does not share for He is a jealous God. And you remember what He said there in Leviticus. Whoever comes to Him by them... He must be regarded as holy. Therefore glorify God in your bodies. And then of course elsewhere. And I'm putting a lot of scriptures together. It's your reasonable act of service. Doubt then is from the Greek diakrino. And it means to hesitate. To pause or hold back in uncertainty or unwillingness. In believing God. If what. You've asked him to do, or in what he's telling you to do, he will do. You doubt. Now, there's something else. Peter Davids wrote, This kind of a doubter 
is the person who is not wholly committed to God. Well, yes, because all doubt has as its foundation a belief in a vacillating commitment to God. You're just not there. You're not committed. You cannot, like look, you cannot persist in sin, persist in it, claim Christ and say you're committed to Christ. You're a liar. I don't know that you're a fraud, but I would say this. If you can continue to do that with impunity, whatever it is you're into, claiming Christ and continuing in that, and and you will not change, you don't want to change, you're not going to change, I wonder... If you've met the Jesus I know, I bear he he gets bored out in the scriptures, and everybody he ever encountered were changed. Or restored because we fail and they were restored. And you can do that. I don't know about you. But but notice this: it says they're not wholly committed to God, but plays safe by praying. They, They play it safe. Maybe we don't receive from God much because we don't believe much. Now divorce all of what I just said if you have a filter that is preconditioned by, by uh, strange doctrines elsewhere. Not name it, claim it stuff. We're talking about, for example, revival. Biblical revival. Do you realize? 1857 was the last time the United States saw anything of significance. And that was under Jeremiah, Jeremiah Lamphere in the city of New York in what was known as the Great Prayer Revival. This preceded the Civil War. That was the last time anything like that happened. That's a long time ago. When I pray and I ask God for revival... And I say, God, it's been a long time. And I maybe say, Lord, will you? Would you? And then I'm thinking, ah, you probably won't. Ah, you got to not go there. God wants to bless his people. He will do it in his sovereign acting. But I'm going to believe God for the best. And I believe he can. Whether he will or he won't. I don't think that's where I ought to major. I think I ought to be majoring on just seeking him for it. I can't help but be affected in my own life when I do it. I'm not going to be so presumptuous to say, God, because I'm believing you for it, therefore you have to do it. You are obligated to do it. That is wrong. But if I ask him for it, can't I thank him for what I know he can do? Can't I have the confidence the scripture says that I have this request that I've asked him of? Can't I? So I don't want to be double minded. You see, as he goes on, they say when they play it safe and praying, their real interest is in an advancement in this world. But they also want to enjoy some of God's blessings. Did you get that? They want to be advanced in the world and they want some of God's blessing now and go to heaven when they die. That's the emphasis of American Christianity right now. I'm saved. I said the prayer. I've joined a church. I got baptized. I'm good. Now I can do what I want to do. And I would say, and of course Richard Owen Roberts has said, and Jesus most importantly said, 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But Lord, didn't we do all these things? He goes, I don't know who you are. Because the Bible says in works, they deny him. Such a person will not get wisdom, this man writes. James says, in fact, such a person will not receive anything at all from God. None. Nothing. Zero. Zilch. Blank. Clear. No color. (laughs) Number two. Distraction. The doubts are one thing. The Lord has given you plenty of reasons not to have them. But what about distractions? I know all of you have been having distractions, some more in particular. Myself included. I have a truck that's decided that if the blinkers work, the fuel pump doesn't work. If the fuel pump works, the blinkers work. It just doesn't want to know, and it strands me on the road. And I'm thinking, this is why they call it a Ford. (laughs) Found on road dead twice in one day. But then certain people get in it, and it starts right up. And I think... Distraction. Distraction can come in the form of family stuff. I was telling a young mom, you know, you're going to be distracted throughout the next 12 years of your life. And then one day, it'll all change so fast, you'll wish for that distraction. Because the little suckers just abandon you. They just, they just haul off and leave. And they just, they're gone. And then all that's left is the memory. And you're just sitting there with no hair. You may, you may have a, during the time with which you're seeking God, your company may decide that you need to work more. You may get sick. Saying, look at Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 through 33. We're going to read these passages, and, and I love this. This is probably, this came to mind first up. Matthew chapter 22. This is about Peter. Let's see, am I right? Oh, no, I'm wrong. 14, sorry. Yeah, here we go. Verse 22, chapter 14. Immediately Jesus made His disciples get into the boat and go before Him to the other side while He sent the multitudes away. And when He had sent the multitudes away, He went up on the mountain by Himself to pray. Now when evening came, He was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch, this is from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Well, come, come. Okay. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But notice verse 30 in specific. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. And then immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You say, well, it says this should be more for doubt than anything. But I would say, look at what happened to cause him to. 
He, just, he was distracted. You head out towards Jesus and you see all this stuff coming and you get distracted by all the awfulness or the busyness. Even the good kinds of busyness. Can I just say something here? I'm going to say this because I say stuff and I shouldn't sometimes. But I'm going to say it. I think it's okay to say. Would you stop letting your unbelieving family and friends dictate the terms of your obedience to Christ, please? Would you stop it? Why on earth would you do that? Why would you capitulate? You've been giving the very Godhead inside your soul. Why on earth would you capitulate to the lost and to the dead? If they want to come hang out with you on the Lord's day, they can come to church with you. If they want to come sit in your house, they can watch the shows that aren't full of filth. They're in your house. If they want to do something during the time in which is always your devotional time, they can wait. I'm just saying, when's enough enough? Well, they're my children. They're your kids. Teach them. Because when you're dead, everyone else is going to continue on. Give them an example. (sighs) That's where the distractions are. You let them come in. You just let them come in. Look at this last part. Distractions are the refractions of an unresolved commitment. As the light passes through the water vapors in the atmosphere, it emanates the colors of the rainbow because it's broken up. It exposes that beauty that's there as the light is refracted in the rainbow. Well, in distractions, an unresolved commitment is also revealed too. And we all fight it. I do. My brain, if you guys only knew what it was like. If you could picture a bowl of spaghetti, that's it. But I keep trying. You all know. Some of you know me really well. You know. Change one thing about a person. I just. I just. Can't get past it. But. I I gotta fight it. Because the enemy can leverage that against me. Just as much as anything else. This. Then that. Then this. Then that. And then I'll get to my Bible. Or I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll finish that. I'll tell them first. I can't think. And then I'll do that. And then I'm just so tired of thinking. I don't want to think anymore. And then I'm done. And I'm defeated. Discouragement. Mm. Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The operative sentence in this is. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Even to Utah. Or wherever you go. The Lord God is with you wherever you go. How about this? When you forget God's promises, you forget His promise to be with you. Right? So you get discouraged. You get... You're you're approaching defeat. You're discouraged. It's not going like I thought... My Bible time and my listening, I just, you know, it's stuffing in my head and I just, it's too busy for me. My dad was famous for saying, the Lord give everyone 24 hours in a day. What you do with them is your business. 
Which meant that if you have to stay up and burn the midnight oil to get what you need done done, then that's what you do. How important is it to you? I mean, really, how important is it to you? I don't want to call out anyone by name in this church, but Brian here gets up at 3 o'clock every morning, okay, to, to, to do school and to do a study. This feller here in the blue, Jeff, he does it too, but I'm not saying any, any names. So you just think about that. While you're busy making a bathroom run, they're on their knees praying, okay? Because that's, that's their commitment, that's what they want to do because their schedules are such, because their work lives are such that if they don't do it then, it ain't happening. And some food is too important to put off till later because later may never come. Division. This is a bad one. In Mark chapter 3, verse 24 and 25, we read Jesus' teaching. He says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. We as a church must go forward united in what we're doing here. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Put it in your soul. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't capitulate. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Live in harmony with each other. Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and in purpose. Do you want to see God move? Do you, are you desperate enough in what, you're, what you see in the world to want to do whatever it takes that you can do to see God move? Then that will show up in what you do privately between Sunday and Sunday. There are two types of division. One is of identity and one is of thinking. And either way you go, how can two walk together unless they agree? Unite in the pursuit of Christ. Unite. We can never be more united, think of it this way, in what we're doing right now during this time, than collectively. We can't see it. When I'm, I'm, when I'm doing my quiet time, and my devotional time, and you're sometime that day doing your devotional time, and you're over there doing your devotional time, and you're out there doing yours and yours and yours and yours, and we're all with a cacophony coming up, a cornucopia spilling forth the prayers of God's people before the throne. Oh God, would you turn and look at us? Oh God, would you come and heal us? You see how Bad off we are. You see what our culture's doing. Empower us, refresh us, renew us, remake us, reshape us. Move again like you've done before. God, we know you can. Give me a heart to want you more. If we, we did that individually, whatever time of day you choose, together, we are never as strong corporately as we are, as we are strong individually. I'm going to close with this. Remember your mission. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Because as we talked about, the Bible tells us there's a time comes when he won't hear anymore. Richard Owen Roberts says on day three, 
Sermon 2, minute marker 2711. There are things we must do and things we can do. But there are things that need doing that we can't do. Indeed, the major things that are needed only God Himself can do. But it's absurd to think that God is going to do only what He can. Now listen to this. When we have refused to do what we must. I want to know when I finish that I've done what I must. But if you really want to know the truth of it, praise God. Let's not stop. It may take a different form. But even when we reach the end of this, and even when February 1 comes, or when you get to your last sermon, keep going. Go above and beyond. Now take it so personally. It's like, Lord, no matter what, I'm going to seek you. Let me ask you. We talked about normal culturally. We want things to go back to normal. So for those of you who have been into this 21 days of prayer and fasting, and you've, you've adjusted your life, right? You've, you've made some changes. If they're dietary changes, i got to admit, that'll be cool when that's not so strict. Uh, but do you really want to go back to where you were? Do you really want to go back to that? I don't. God help me, I don't. So church, remember the mission. Don't give up. Keep going. JT, as JT plays today, I think here's an appropriate, here's an appropriate response. Does your life reflect a soul that hungers and thirsts after God? Or does your life reflect a defeated, compromised, worldly Christian? I will say this, the gospel is never in a greater need than it is now. If you don't know Christ, repent, repent, turn away from your wickedness, stop lying to yourself saying, I am, or stop kidding yourself to say, I don't know if I believe this or not, because I'll tell you, the Bible says, the fool in his heart says there is no God. Surrender. And Christian... Stop letting the world dictate the terms of your faith and obedience. JT plays. We're going to have a bit of a time of response. The altar is open. You do what you will.